Well, good morning. I am a uh, former chili cook-off competitor. I lost. There's no light on. No light on. What should I do? You're gonna, okay, you're going to take care of that. Great. So I thought that my secret ingredient was going to set me over the top, and so I had in my chili, instead of ground beef, I had buffalo ground beef and ground meat, and it didn't didn't sway the judges at all, so uh, still licking my wounds over over that. So let me take this stand. Preachers ought to take a stand, right? So let me take this stand and get it adjusted where we want to go. Um, all right, well, if you have your Bibles, you will, uh, if you could open them or turn in them or click them or swipe them to Matthew chapter 6. Most of you know that uh, I serve with the ministry called Lifeline Children's Services, and uh, Lifeline is involved in carrying the gospel to the nations through the platform of adoption and orphan care. And so um, there is uh, information about Lifeline out in the foyer and uh, at the information table, would encourage you just to pick that up as you uh, leave today. Grateful for the opportunity to be here. Have you been watching the news? It's kind of hard not to watch the news these days, isn't it? Stuff is happening every day uh, in the news. And those of you that might keep track of such things have noticed that uh, the stock market uh, in the last few weeks has hit an all-time high uh, two different times. And there's just a lot of volatility in the market right now. It's up, it's down. I remember not too long ago, the market went down so much in one week that Goldman Sachs had to lay off three congressmen. <laughs> see, what I, see what I did there? Okay, so, um, but, you know, people are, are buying gold, they're buying real estate, they're selling, they're buying, they're adjusting their stock portfolios, they're seeking tax shelters, um, and, and all kind of things are, are happening. Here in Matthew chapter 6, uh, the passage that we read earlier, Jesus says, and I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which is probably similar to what you may be reading from, but maybe not identical. Jesus said, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, I'm obviously not a, uh, an economist, I'm not a politician, but I have come this morning to share with you the three greatest investments that you can make in 2017. And I can say that with confidence because the investments I want to encourage you to make today are investments where moths cannot destroy, rust cannot corrupt, thieves cannot break in and steal. These investments are eternal investments, not temporal investments. This word that Jesus used here, treasure, uh, the Greek word is the word we get our word thesaurus from. A thesaurus is a treasury of words. And uh, so uh, right now, uh, my wife and I are in a stage where we are going through the wonderful uh, adventure of house hunting. It's like kryptonite to me. It just sucks the life right out of me. But uh, part of what we do is we'll make an appointment and we'll go into a house and we'll go look in all the rooms. And, you know, we're looking for rooms and size and square footage and uh, features and that kind of thing. But you can't help but notice sometimes some of the things, some of the very interesting things that uh, people treasure, some of the things that people collect. 
And so we have been uh, going through that uh, experience. Jesus is encouraging us in this passage to, uh, to reminding us that our heart is going to be where our treasure is. So whatever it is that you treasure, whatever it is that I treasure, that's what we're going to be putting our heart into. And um, this passage that Jesus is, is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, he's not talking about uh, resources that we need for our necessities. He's not saying don't pursue housing, don't pursue clothing, don't pursue food. He's talking about treasures that we stockpile. Um, some of those stockpiles may be financial. For others, it may be time or it may be energy or it may be trinkets or it may be uh, our focus. It may be our talents that God's given to us. Jesus is not saying in this passage that we shouldn't save, that we shouldn't prepare for the future, that we shouldn't invest, that we shouldn't manage our finances. He's not saying that we shouldn't buy temporal goods. We, we can't exist without temporal goods. He's not saying that money and things and possessions are are evil. He's not saying that uh, that it's wrong to be wealthy or that it's sinful to be wealthy. He's not saying that we should be lazy, that we shouldn't work for uh, our income and our paycheck. What he is saying is that there are investments that give a greater yield than any financial investment you can make. And uh, as I've thought about that, uh, I want us to think about making an investment in things that are eternal. Look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. He said, we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. There are two dimensions. There's the eternal dimension, and there's the temporal dimension. There is the, the seen dimension, and there is the unseen dimension. What Jesus is encouraging us to consider is the greatest investments that you can make are in the realm that is eternal, not the realm that's temporal. The realm that is unseen, not the realm that is seen. And by investing in things that, that last for eternity, um, we, are making, we, we are getting a return on our investment. We are getting a dividend, if you will, that will last forever. The greatest investments are those investments that bring the greatest return and the longest dividend. And there are three things that, as I read the scripture, three things that you and I on this earth, while we're here, can invest in that will last forever. And I want to talk to you about those three investments that will last forever today. A lot of what we spend our lives on are not eternal. Uh, I grew up in um, Memphis, Tennessee. That's my hometown. Uh, the, the king of rock and roll lived there. And I remember when Elvis died, one of the questions that was asked was, how much did he leave? Now, I'll never forget what his stepbrother, David Stanley, said in answer to that question. He left it all. <laughs> he left it all because we can't take it with us. We can't take it with us. And the old evangelist, Billy Sunday, used to say, you can't take it with you. And it burned where some of you are going. So uh, the fact is that these are, are temporal investments. And um, uh, I'll tell you about... Um, an uncle of mine, I have an uncle named Benny, and Uncle Benny at one time was a farmer. And one day he came into the kitchen, he was so excited, he came up to his wife, he had this big grin on his face, and he, he told her that their finest cow had given birth to twin calves, one brown and one white. And he said, he said, I just am so excited about this, I feel 
I feel the impulse to dedicate one of these cows, one of these calves, to the Lord. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bring them up together, and when they are of a marketable age, we'll sell them and we'll keep the proceeds from one, and we'll give the proceeds from the other one to the Lord. And, uh, you know, his wife went right to the core of the issue, as wives are prone to do, and she said, okay, the brown cow, the white cow, which one is the Lord's cow? The white one or the brown one? And he said, well, that, we don't worry about that right now uh, because we're going to raise them up together, so it won't really matter. Well, a few months later, Uncle Benny came into the kitchen a little more slowly, looking very sad. His wife asked why he was so sullen, and he said, well, I got bad news. The Lord's cow died today. So uh, sometimes we, um, we invest in things that are temporal, but I want to share with you today three things that you can invest your life in that will last for eternity. And the first of those is the Word of God. Look at what Isaiah chapter 40 uh, and verse 8 says. Uh, reading from the uh, HCSB, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God remains forever. God's Word is something that will last forever. And we can make an investment in our lives and the lives of others in the Word of God that will count for eternity. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and every verse in that psalm deals with the Word of God. Look at some of these uh, verses from Psalm 119, and uh, for example, verse, uh, verse 89 says, Lord, your Word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. Drop down to verse 152. Long ago I learned from your decrees that you have established them forever. Verse 160. The entirety of your Word is truth. And all your righteous judgments endure forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. One of the things that we can invest in, in this life, knowing that it will last for eternity, is the word of God. What does that mean? What does that mean for us? How do we invest in the word of God? Does that mean we buy a bunch of Bibles and stack them on our bookshelves? Of course not. What it means is that we are pouring God's word into our lives and into the lives of, of others. What does that look like? Let me just share with you a few ways that that could, that could look uh, or take, take place in your life. One is to be regularly under the preaching of the word. For example, doing what you're doing right now is an investment in the word of God. Coming to church on Sunday and putting yourself under biblical preaching is a way to invest the word of God in your life. Another way is uh, reading the Bible on your own. We're, we're in February, and that is the time of year where our New Year's resolution to read through the Bible in a year kind of falls off the tracks because all of a sudden we have hit Leviticus, right? And so Leviticus, we're like, okay, you know what? Uh, uh, yeah, so I, I think one day we're going to get to heaven. We're going to see Moses. He's going to ask us about those books that he wrote how we, what we thought about them, how we enjoyed them. Oh, Moses, you rocked it with Genesis. And Exodus was so exciting, but man, seriously, Leviticus? Come on, really? Leviticus? Every year, that's where I kind of jumped off the, the, tra the rail was in Leviticus. But for, for some of you, uh, investing in the Word of God will be finding a systematic way to read uh, God's Word and read it on a regular basis, investing in God's Word. Another way is to dial that up a bit and not just be a reader of God's word, but to be a student of God's word. 
to really find a way to study God's Word. That might mean that you buy a, uh, a Bible study that has like a workbook kind of format and work through a topic or work through a book of the Bible. Uh, it may mean that you take a book of the Bible and you're just going to kind of drill down deep and you're going to get some commentaries and you're going to actually do some study. You may not be able to do this as often as you do your Bible reading. You might be able to do your Bible reading every day. You might not have the time. Your schedule may not allow you to dig deep and drill down in study of God's Word uh, every day, but you ought to maybe have some time to become a student of the Scriptures. I think we have that obligation as believers. Another way you can invest God's Word into your life is through Scripture memory. Some of you have done this before. Some of you have dabbled at it before. Some of you may be doing it now. For some of you, this may be something totally new. But memorizing different verses of Scripture, uh, there are so many benefits to that. And I know a lot of us think we can't memorize, you know, and uh, my memory is so bad and, and uh, you know, all of this. But isn't it, isn't it interesting the kind of things that we do remember? Uh, sports figure statistics or recipes or, I mean, we, we remember those things that are important to us. And if we really apply our memory to scripture memory, I think that we'll find that we're much better at it than maybe we think we are. There are a couple of ways to do this. You could select key verses that are of maybe an area of temptation for you or a promise that you want to claim and hang on to that you could commit to memory. For some of you that are, that are go-getters, you may want to pick a chapter of the Bible and memorize that chapter. Uh, and so really the sky's the limit on what, what you can do as far as investing God's Word. Here's an interesting thing to note, though. Nowhere in the Bible are you commanded to memorize scripture. Okay? Nowhere are you commanded to memorize scripture. So why would you even want to do that? It's not even in the Bible. You're not even required to do that. Scripture memory is a stepping stone to something that you are commanded to do in scripture, and that is we are commanded to meditate on scripture. What does that mean? What does it mean to meditate on scripture? In our in our culture, a lot of times when people speak of meditation, they're speaking of getting into a quiet place and totally emptying your mind of everything. And if you empty your mind of everything, then that's the path to whatever. That's not biblically what meditation is. Meditation in the Bible is not emptying your mind, it's filling your mind. Filling your mind. Psalm 1 says that in the law of the Lord, uh, the, the blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord. Uh, in his law, he meditates day and night. He meditates day and night. When my older boys were memorizing that psalm, they mis-memorized it. <laughs> and they would quote it and say, and in his law, he medicates day and night. That's not far off. That's not a bad interpretation because there's something healing about putting God's word in our mind and in our hearts. So what does that look like? It looks like this. You're, in I, you're on I-4 and stuck in traffic and you're going two miles an hour and you're getting nowhere fast, and you could maximize that time by pulling up to your mind, consciously, deliberately, intentionally, passages that you have memorized, and meditate on them. Think about them, phrase by phrase. Why did God say it that way? Why did God say, where your treasure is, your heart will be there also? What kind of things do I treasure? 
Where is my heart? You see how I'm, by asking myself those questions, I'm meditating on God's word. I'm taking that verse and really making it um, uh, run through the filter, run my life through the filter of scripture to see where my life matches up. And so uh, meditating on God's word, finding ways uh, when you're just waiting in the doctor's office, when you're sitting in traffic, when you're washing the dishes, when you're mowing the lawn, when you're out running or riding your bike, uh, exercising, finding ways to just pull deliberately, intentionally pull scripture up to your mind and let your mind marinate, let it ruminate on the scriptures is a way to invest in God's word in 2017. One of the greatest investments you can make this year would be to invest in those things that will last forever. And the first of those that I want to mention to you is the word of God. So what will that look like for you? If you were to do that this year, what would be the, a good next step for you? What would be a good application for you to walk out of here today, resolve to say, I'm going to build God's word into my life this year, and the way I'm going to do it is fill in the blank. And it'll be different for all of us, maybe. But I really would encourage you and challenge you to think through that question. What would it mean for you, maybe for you and your spouse, maybe for you and your family, to invest in God's word in 2017. There is a second thing that we can invest in that will last, uh, last forever, and that is we can invest in prayer. We can invest in prayer. Or excuse me, we can invest in people. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm surprising Omar with the slides up there. We can invest in people. One of the things that will last forever is people, Right? We live this earth, we live our lives, it's just a vapor, it's just a few brief years, and then we die. But after we die, we live forever. We live forever either in heaven, in the presence of God, or we live forever in judgment, separated from the presence of God. But the fact of the matter is, our souls are ever-living, never-dying. Our souls are eternal. We, we read a verse a few minutes ago from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Let's go back to, to that passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. And then I want to continue reading on into the next chapter. Look at what Paul said. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal, right? So we want to invest in those things that are eternal, those things that are unseen. And then chapter 5 comes, and look at what he says, particularly about our bodies and our souls and our humanity. He says, we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, that temporary earthly dwelling is not our house, he's talking about our bodies. If our bodies are destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this body, desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven. Since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we're in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. What he's saying is, one day we're gonna, this body's going to die. It's going to age, it's going to disease, there's going to be an accident, something's going to happen, and the fact of the matter is, the, st the statistic is true, one out of one people die. <laughs> But there is a part of you that is eternal, that will live forever. And that is our ever-living, never-dying souls. 
So how do we invest in things that will last forever? One of the ways is to invest in the lives of people. And you can begin with yourself. Your soul is going to last forever. So what can you do this year to invest in your soul? In that part of you that is going to live forever and ever. We spend a lot of time on our body. We spend a lot of time on our mind. We spend a lot of time on our emotions. But how much time do we spend investing in that spiritual part of us, that eternal part of us, our souls? Do you have a a personal growth plan uh, for this year? Or are you the kind of person that just stands there and lets life happen to you? And whatever happens, happens. Or are you deliberate and intentional in pursuing ways to develop your gifts, your abilities that God's given you, your strengths? Uh, What are you going to read this year? What are you going to research? What are you going to listen to? What are you going to attend? What are you going to experience? Who are you going to allow to mentor you or disciple you this coming year? Listen, growth doesn't just happen unless you're a weed. (laughs) Growth takes deliberate, intentional, consistent effort. The Bible says discipline yourselves for the purpose of, of godliness. And that word discipline is the Greek word gymnazo. We get our word gymnasium from it. Exercise yourself spiritually. So what can you do this year to invest? And may I say that, that God uses uh, relationships, God uses experiences, but God also uses pain and suffering in our growth and development, doesn't he? Have you noticed that some of the times you have grown the most in your Christian life have been some of the most difficult days that you've been through? God has ordained it to be that way because he uses pain and suffering and even failure to grow us. And so we want to have this heart that's always wanting to learn, always wanting to grow, and, and, uh, and, and finding ways to invest in our own soul because our soul is something that will last for eternity. But so will the souls of others. So what will you do this year to intentionally, deliberately invest in the lives of others because their soul is ever living, never dying. It is an eternal investment that you can make by investing in the lives of others. I think a natural place to start would be with our family. So how can you invest in your spouse? And men, I would, I would say to you, do you realize that the Bible says that we as husbands are responsible for the spiritual growth and development of our wives? Now that intimidates a lot of us because a lot of us, me included, feel like our wives are so far ahead of us spiritually in spiritual maturity. And so the fact that I would be responsible for my wife's spiritual growth is a little intimidating because I feel like most of the time I'm playing catch-up to her. But the Bible says we have a responsibility to, to coach, encourage, mentor, disciple our wives to push her to, towards godliness, to encourage her, to disciple her towards spiritual maturity. So what that's, what's that going to look like for you? What's that going to look like for you this year? What about your children? How are you intentionally pouring into their lives, not just doing life, not just letting life happen to you, but what are you doing that is intentional and deliberate to pour into the lives of your kids and into their souls? Into their souls. What about unbelievers? Almost all of us here this morning 
have somebody in our life. Maybe it's a, a family member, an extended family member, a neighbor, a co-worker, a classmate that doesn't know the Lord that we, we really wish they would come to Christ. How could you invest in that person's life this year in a way that would be winsome and engaging in drawing them to the cross and bringing the gospel to bear in their lives? What are some ways evangelistically that you could invest in the lives of others? One of the things that Pastor Anthony has mentioned this year that we're going to do as a church is train and equip folks on how to develop those kind of gospeling relationships, those witnessing relationships with unbelievers. And that might be part of the investment that you make this year is to go through that training and to cultivate those skills so that you can be a better witness for the sake of the gospel. It may be people that you need to disciple or you need to mentor. Some of you have been believers for years and years and years. And the body of Christ needs the maturity that you have, the experience that you have, the wisdom that you've gained through that to pour into the lives of younger believers or younger men or younger women. It's a biblical model that we see in Titus 2 that we would pour into the lives of others in that way by discipling and mentoring them. And some of you need to be a, dis a disciple maker. Some of you need to be a mentor because of all that God has done in your heart and in your life. Others of us may need to seek out a mentor or someone to disciple us this year. There's no blueprint or template of what that looks like. It can, it can really be uh, fluid and liquid uh, as far as uh, what, that would, what that would look like for you. But finding a way to disciple others. One of the ways in our family that my wife Pepper and I have chosen to deliberately pour into the lives of others is through the ministry of adoption. Uh, about six or seven years ago, uh, or seven or eight years ago, I guess it is now, God called us to adopt. And so we had three boys that were in their late teens, early 20s. We were moving headlong towards our empty nest years. And then God plopped this little 10-year-old girl into our lap and into our lives. And we met Cheyenne. And God uh, orchestrated the circumstances where we were able to adopt her. And now, all of a sudden, for the first time, we had a daughter. We'd never done daughters before. We didn't know how to do daughters. And so we were on a steep learning curve of how to go into toy stores and find sections we had never seen before, these pink sections that we didn't know anything about. And so now I'm trying to help Cheyenne fit those little clothes onto Barbie dolls. And I'm trying to, you know, look at baby clothes, and I'm doing karaoke concerts and tea parties and all those things that come with little girls. And, um, and it has been a, a marvelous adventure through the ministry of adoption to take this little girl who has totally turned our lives upside down and, and pour into her life. And then last September, through the uh, help and prayers and support of Restoration Church and others, we were able to finalize Jacob's adoption. If you listen real carefully, you could probably hear Jacob next door. He's the one thundering through the children's uh, room in uh, Restoration today. But uh, through the ministry of adoption, we are pouring our lives into the souls of Cheyenne and Jacob. And I think that God 
is encouraging his people throughout the scripture to invest in the lives of the vulnerable. It may be widows. It may be the orphan. It may be others who are, are vulnerable. It may be, the Bible calls them aliens or strangers or immigrants. It's a hot-button topic these days in our country, but uh, finding those that are vulnerable and finding a way to pour into their lives. When you do that, when you do that, let me just warn you of something. When you do that, your hands will get dirty. And a lot of us, me included, don't like a Christianity that's messy. We like a Christianity that is sterile and sanitized and neat and tidy. And I can tell you, both as an adoptive parent and as one who works in a ministry of orphan care, the life of the orphan is messy. James called it the distress or the affliction of the orphan. If you're going to roll up your sleeves and pour your lives into the lives of others this year, making an eternal investment in them, can I just give you this disclaimer? It's going to get messy. Why? Because sin leaves a wake of destruction wherever it goes. And we're all victims of that wake. (laughs) Because we all have hearts that are crooked deep down. It is the greatest investment you can make because it's one that lasts for eternity to invest in the lives of others but let me just tell you don't be afraid of the fact that it can get messy don't let that scare you don't let that push you away god doesn't call us always to do what's easy he calls us to do what is right and what's righteous there is a third thing that you can invest in this year that will last for eternity one is the word of god a second one is the souls of men or people and the third one is prayer The third one is prayer. Look at this very interesting passage in the book of Revelation. We don't have time to unpack all that John is saying in this passage today, but I just want to point out one thing to you. Um, Revelation chapter 5, I think we're starting in verse 1. Is that right? That's where I'm starting. Uh, So this is what John says. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. We don't have time to unpack all that. That's not the point I'm trying to make. Keep reading. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look into it. And I cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to even look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Stop crying. Look. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. We don't have time to unpack all that. Basically, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Then look at verse 7. He came and took the scroll out of the hand of the one who seated on the throne. When he took the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and gold bowls, watch this, and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So in heaven, there are golden bowls that are filled with our prayers. Now, what does that mean? Let me just tell you. I don't know. 
I don't know what that means. So here's what we're going to do. Next week when Anthony comes back, and you meet him in the foyer, say, hey, I got a question for you. And then he'll explain it all to us, okay? But I don't understand all that it means. But it seems very clear that in heaven, our prayers are still in existence. There are golden bowls that are holding our prayers, and those prayers are the incense, the aroma that fragrance heaven. I don't understand all that. Look at just a couple of chapters later at Revelation chapter 8. Same kind of thing. Um, let me, let me uh, back up to verse 1. I don't think 1 is on the screen, but let me just give you the context of this passage. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the gold altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angel's hands. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you this, it seems very clear from the scripture that one of the things that will last even into heaven, into eternity, not only is the word of God, not only are the souls of men, but the prayers of the saints. What does that mean? That means if you and I are going to invest in things that are going to last for eternity, one of those things can be our prayer life. Our prayer life. I have yet to meet any Christian who says, I really feel like I pray too much. I really feel like I spend too much time in prayer. I got to really cut back. This year, my New Year's resolution is to cut back and not pray as much as I've been praying. And I've never met that Christian. I don't know if that person exists. One of the things that I love about the Ministry of Lifeline where I get to work is the focus that this ministry has on prayer. Every week, we as a staff are gathering for about 30 to 45 minutes every morning for prayer. From Florida to Washington State. Our home office is in Birmingham. We all get on a video call and we're spending time about 30 to 40 minutes every morning starting our day in prayer. Reminding ourselves of our need for God to do his work through this ministry. For God to care for the orphan because he is the father of the fatherless. And we go before him in prayer every morning. Once a month, we are... Uh, fasting the last Tuesday of the month. We're fasting the lunch meal to pray together in 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 uh, twos or in threes, getting together and praying together. Every week, we deliberately choose a particular country where we're working. We're working in about 30 different countries. And each week, we, we pray for that country. We pray for the church in that country. We pray for or the, or the churches in that country. We pray for the gospel in that country. We pray for orphans and vulnerable children. We pray for the governments of those countries. We're praying every week, praying through those different countries. And I appreciate so much a ministry that's committed to prayer. We just finished reading as a staff a book called The a Praying Life by Brian Miller. Excellent book on, on prayer. And I would, I would commend that, that book to you. So what does it look like for you to invest more in your prayer life? Well, I think one thing it, it means is that we can be more deliberate and intentional. Maybe we could plan a time or times Maybe it will be when you're running, or maybe uh, you're a bike rider, or maybe uh, you exercise some other way that would lend itself to spending that time in prayer. Or maybe you have a long commute to work. 
or uh, maybe there are other times that you could carve out into your day and dedicate that time to spend that time, extended time, in prayer. And then having a systematic way to pray, maybe a prayer list. Uh, Brian Miller, in his book, A A Praying Life, talks about uh, creating these index cards, and he'll have his wife's name and just a couple of verses that he's praying for his wife or each of his kids or his boss or a missionary or his pastor, different things that he's praying about, issues in his own life, and he'll just kind of work through those cards as a deliberate, intentional way to pray. But finding a way to to be, be proactive in our praying, deliberate and intentional in our praying, and to bring it all full circle as we're investing in things that last for eternity, one of the great things that that I've discovered in recent years that's helped my prayer life is learning how to pray the scriptures back. For example, praying things like, Lord, help me to store up treasures in heaven. Help me not to be so focused on treasures that are here where moth and dust, uh, rust corrupt and where thieves could break in the steel, but help me to really focus on building my life around treasures in heaven. Help my heart to be there. And and praying that for me, praying that for others, finding a way to pray back through the scriptures, I think is a, a great tool that we have that we can use in our, our prayer life. So going back to our passage, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. If you're going to invest in things that will pay an eternal dividend, We must invest in the word of God, in the souls of men, people, and in prayer. Have you heard of a man named John Wesley? Back in the 18th century, John Wesley was the founder of Methodism and the Methodist Church. He and his brother Charles wrote many of the hymns that have been used through the next uh, couple of centuries in church history. John Wesley was a great man of God, a great man of prayer, and a man that was devoted to to time in the word. One of the great privileges of my life was to go to his home there in London and right off of his kitchen, which was, uh, his house was always so busy and so occupied, late into the night, people were coming and a lot of times his house was just filled with people. Sometimes people he didn't even know were just hanging out at his house. He built a little room right off of his kitchen where he could sneak away from folks and go into that little prayer closet and pray. Great privilege of mine to shut the door in that little prayer room and and pray in that same room where so many of John Wesley's prayers had been lifted up. Many people, while they may think of John Wesley as a man of very modest means, he was actually a very wealthy man. He gained his wealth from the hymns that he wrote, from the books that he wrote, and at one time in his life, he gave away 50,000 pounds sterling. I don't know what that equivalent would be today, but it's it's a great sum of money. He just gave it away to people. It was a fortune in his time. He was a, a wealthy man, and he just gave this fortune away. And when he died, his estate was worth only 28 pounds. Not because he had squandered his wealth, but because he knew that he couldn't take it with him, and he had invested it for eternity. So let me close with this. Here's some things that will have to take place some things you need to consider if you're going to invest in things that last for eternity. The Word of God, people, and prayer. It's, it means you're going to have to change your schedule. And it's going to look different for all of us, but it means you're going to have to make some changes to your schedule. It means you're going to have to change your focus off of what makes you comfortable and off of what's convenient for you, especially if you're going to pour into the lives of others, and, and change your focus. It means you're going to have to change your priorities. 
it means you're going to have to change some habits. And before any of that can happen, before you can change your schedule or your focus or your priorities or your habits, one thing that has to change is your heart. You have to change your heart from having treasures here to having treasures here. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. But think about this. This time next year, February 2018, if you'll invest this year in these three things that will last for eternity and pay eternal dividends, you will not only store up treasures in heaven, but I guarantee you that in your own life, you're going to see measurable growth and fruit that will remain throughout your life and into the next. Let's make some eternal investments in 2017. Let's pray together. Father, the world says to live now for all the gusto we can and to to live for life filled with pleasure and comfort and ease. That's not the life you call us to. The life you call us to is one to invest in those things that will last forever. Your word, the souls of people, and in our prayers. And Father, while we may not understand all of that, we want to be participants with you in that. And so I pray we walk out of here today with some, some clear action steps of what we need to do to make those kind of investments in 2017. God, please bless our efforts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.